let me think of an intro here for a second. Okay. Uh, should have planned this. <laughs> uh, hello, and welcome to whatever we're calling this. <laughs> uh, Deep Space Nine review show. My name is Fletcher. That's Data. No relation to the robot. Oh, I thought you meant or, to each other. I was like, that's a weird jump, but okay. No relation to me either? Yeah. Uh, are you related to the robot? I, I don't want to assume. Is it uh, like a family name in your family of robots? Yeah, it could be. Okay. Uh, so we'll check Ancestry.com for <laughs> your... Did you get your robo-DNA and send it to the... No, that that's how they get you if you, you send in your DNA out there, you know? That's how they caught the Golden State Killer. Uh... So one of his family members sent in their DNA. So it's important to not only keep your own DNA to yourself, but make sure everyone else that you're related to does as well. Got it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I always, like, my family's like, oh, I got my DNA tested. I was like, I could have told you you're English. <laughs> like, anyway. What were we doing? Okay, today we're reviewing uh, episode one, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and two, Emissary, part one and two. Alternate title... Baseball, what is this? So, uh, do you want? Do you have a point you want to start with, or? Uh, well, okay. My question is: Did you ever see Babylon Five? Because that plays a big part in like the origin of the series. I know the whole drama. Yeah. About um, like J. Michael Straczynski tried to bring this to Paramount, and then uh, mysteriously they came up with the exact same concept for their new Star Trek show. I have watched the first 10 minutes of the first episode of Babylon 5, mm. but it was just like, I was looking at those special effects, and I was just like, I cannot do this right now. <laughs> like, this is just not for me right now, but yeah, I will use it yeah. this later. The effects and, and the prosthetics in the first episode are all kind of like, uh... But to be fair, the you know the prosthetics even in this in this episode in this first uh, episode of Deep Space Nine aren't comp- all you know on target. I think Quark doesn't change too much, but like Odo looks very different to me than he does later. Yeah, you might you might be onto something with that. Uh, like the Odo effects, I felt like looked pretty like experimental, if that's the right word. Yeah, like they didn't look quite up to the Odo. That I remember from later in the series. Uh, Odo, what a guy! But yeah, oh, I guess also we'll use that to say let's do like spoilers through this episode. Mm, okay, yeah, but not like maybe just like general discussion yeah. of stuff that happens later. That's fair. So, so like you've seen the whole series, yep. and I've seen the whole series. So there's really no hook in that department. <laughs> But it's been a while. I haven't watched it since high school. Like I like I was a T I was TNG fan when I was a kid. Um when it, when TNG was on. Yeah. And then later on, um I got into Voyager just cuz it came on right after X-Files. Sure. And then later I think I don't remember if you got me into Deep Space 9 or if I just found it one night or something. It was pretty late. It was like well into the you know the the big main arc that happened at that in the end of that show. Uh, but then, like, there was. Did you ever watch? Like, there was that channel that had the uh, 
It was like two in the morning. It would show two episodes of Deep Space Nine. No, I don't think so. I wasn't watching it at two in the morning, if it was, if I did have it. Like, I had one of those, like, 13-inch VCR yep. TVs. Been there. And so, like, you know, I would just put, like, a, like, a, what, what, XLP tape in there or whatever and set it to record, like, every morning. And that's how I binged the original Deep Space Nine show. Anyway. I um, I don't remember when I first saw Deep Space Nine. Like, yeah, I was a Next Generation fan. I, like, caught it. It was on, on like, after school or something when I was in middle school. Or whatever it was, and I was like, "Oh, this I, that that was like my discovery of Star Trek." And then because of that, I think Next Generation has always been like my favorite. But I honestly think that Deep Space Nine, on the whole, is probably a better show. It's got like more character depth, more story, or or better story. And part of that is because of how they approach this, and that's part of why I bring Babylon Five into it is because it was mm-hmm. the 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 furor around that kind of lends itself to the changes they made here because back in next generation days, like Gene Roddenberry, right. Created star Trek, the next generation. And he had his ideas that a, there was, there, there would be no interpersonal conflict between the main characters because he said that humanity, the Federation, whatever had evolved beyond that. They wouldn't disagree with each other, which it's like, how do you tell a story about these people that's interesting if they're not allowed to have conflict with each other? Like, conflict is the heart of storytelling. So right. that held them back some. And then there was also the idea that that nobody wanted a more serialized story. If someone had to watch a previous episode to understand the new episode, then they would just not watch it, is what the network said. So... Mm. Even, like, during The Next Generation, the first few seasons, even two-parters were, like, discouraged. They didn't want those because they wanted anyone to be able to turn on any episode and be able to watch it. Right. And so Babylon 5, when Straczynski is proposing this, is this kind of revolutionary for the time idea that we're going to do a big, long story. And it's I have, like, these five seasons outlined, and it's like, it's like a novel or an opera in – this big story, everything is planned out from the start and deep space nine picks up some of that as, as it progresses, not really at the beginning, which one scene in this episode really stands out to me about that is when we, well, I guess it's several scenes when we meet, when Cisco meets the prophets and they're like, like, who are you? What is this? Like, they're very confused. And like, this is all new Uh to them. And they're like, Oh, well we exist outside of time. And we, everything that will happen, everything that has happened, we know it all at the same time. Right. And then in, you know, later seasons of this show, their interactions with Cisco are very different from what they are here. And he's suddenly, you know, this important figure, which it's like, okay, well, if you, you should have known that here. Like this was, this was your chance to build this long story in from the beginning where they made all these like cryptic remarks and then when you get into season six or seven, it's like, oh, now everything from that first episode that they said makes sense. But I don't think that they had the confidence or the, like, the plan that, like, Babylon 5 had to... Right. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, I think they probably had a pretty vague idea. Maybe. Like, there would be something bad on the other side of the wormhole and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. 
Um, yeah, I have that kind of same complaint without even thinking about later episodes when he shows up and they're like, so what, what's going on here? And he's like, that's the Cisco. Don't you recognize him? Did they do they say call him the Cisco in this episode? I forget. I don't think so. I feel like the Cisco is a thing that comes in later, but I could have missed it. And then Kai Kai Opaka refers to him as the emissary. Yep. Right, but she doesn't. She never really explains what that means. Nope. She's just like, "You're the emissary. Here's an orb." Yeah, she's like, "Oh man, it's so weird that like an off-worlder is destined to be the emissary or whatever." Well, and and she explains that like it's his destiny to find the celestial temple. But beyond that, right. we don't really have any information. It's it's your destiny three hours from now to find the Celestial Temple. Yep. Even though other people have found it before, but they didn't know what it was. Yep. Which is another funny thing. Is like, this is apparently a really highly trafficked region of space. And I guess just the wormhole opens up all the time. And people are like, whoa, what's that? Well, and nobody they, went back there to like look at it. They explain that it's like the wormhole's in the Denorius belt. And there's a, whole, oh, there's a line where Cisco's like... Oh, yeah, there's all this crap in there. Like, nobody goes that way unless they have to. Okay. And then my, like, my take on the show overall, because people say, like, a really common, like, way people describe it is it's like, uh, what if the vision of Gene Roddenberry meets the real world where people, not everybody shares your ideals or whatever. Mm, okay. And I feel like that's actually always been the premise of Star Trek. It's just like the answer to that question was different. Where it's like, you know, in the next gen, you know, they meet people that are, you know, they don't agree with the philosophy and the ideals of the Federation. But like through sticking to those ideals, like, you know, Captain Picard is always able to overcome yeah. Whereas in this show, like, we see at the very beginning, like, uh, you know, as soon as Cisco is faced with a dilemma, like, uh, with everybody abandoning the promenade, the very first thing he does is he blackmails Quark <laughs> into staying. And Quark's like, well, I can't run my establishment according to Federation standards. He's like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. Like, pra- pragmatically, we need people to stay on the station and, like, you know, keep this whole thing alive. So, um... And yeah, like, yeah. I think it's a through line that Cisco is, uh, in a lot of ways, more pragmatic and more willing to, uh, to do stuff that maybe another captain or, or Picard at least maybe wouldn't have. Because you go all the way back to Kirk, it's like, yeah, Kirk would do anything. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I feel, yeah, I feel like uh, it does a pretty good job. It does a pretty good job of uh, holding the. Uh, so like in so one of my favorite TV shows, The Wire. There's this scene uh, in the last episode where one of our main characters has become the chief of police, and the very first thing that happens is the mayor tells him to lie about the crime statistics because the mayor is running for governor, and his, the chief of police's wife comes in and is like, "You know what? You should just do it," <laughs> and she and she says. Because the tree that doesn't bend breaks. And, you know, it's like, well, you're going to get kicked out and none of your ideals are going to count for anything anyway if you don't do it. Okay. And he looks back at her and he says, if you've been too far, you're already broken. And so I feel like that's kind of like a theme of the show. Uh, Especially, like, as we go along later into, like, all the, you know, really moral gray areas. 
Like, especially, like, the Section 31-type plot lines and stuff like that. Where it's like, there is pragmatism, but it's, you know, we still have to kind of remember what we're about. And if we bend our rules too much, then we're not the people that we wanted to be. Yeah. So that's my take on just, like, the show as a whole. I think there's, uh, I guess, going into more specifics, there's, I, like I said, I like the, the, the depth of the characters in this probably more than uh, the, some of the other Star Trek shows, because you get, oh, yeah, like, you get like, like, Kira is really interesting, and I know that, you know, originally it was supposed, supposed to be Rolaren as this character, and then you know, it becomes somebody else because mm-hmm. the actress wasn't available or whatever. It but, really it makes uh, more sense for it to be, like, Kira. Yeah, I, I guess it like. depends on, yeah, I mean... Because her, her allegiances are 100% Bajoran. To the Bajorans, yeah. She's not, like, thinking about Starfleet, whatever. She doesn't care about Starfleet at all. Which she makes right. very clear in this episode. Oh, as we were discussing earlier, Rolaren is apparently does not believe in the Bajoran religion. Yep. Even though the Bajoran religion is apparently true. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's true to some extent. I mean, who knows if, like, uh, their beliefs in afterlife or whatever mean oh, sure, anything. Sure. But there really are aliens out there sending them orbs to although from what they say in this episode they're kind of like oh wait what we we did that like i mean not on purpose yeah they were like wait what are you talking about like orbs what is this we were throwing out some trash and we didn't know that people were all interested in that these these, i mean the consciousness expanding orbs i mean you guys don't have those (laughs) uh but yes i like the introduction of kira Mm. i i i really like what they do with Cisco, where he hates Picard and he has like yeah, this yeah. reason to hate Picard that immediately separates him from, you know, the previous series where like, yeah, I mean, Picard's around, but Cisco doesn't want to talk to him. So you're not going to see him show up. Yeah. And I, lo- I love that scene so much when they were, ta- where they're talking to each other, where it's like Cisco wants none of it. Yep. And like, you can just read his mind in the scene where it's like, here's Picard. He's like the, the the loftiest of the lofty in Starfleet, and he wants us to go on this bleeding heart mission to help the Bajorans or whatever. And you know, I've been there. It's chaos. There's a million different factions. It's all ruins. It's not going to work. You, you know, Picard doesn't understand what the situation is on the ground, and Picard's like, "Well, you just got to do it." And Picard kind of comes off as like this arrogant, like out-of-touch asshole a little bit in that scene. And it kind of works, because we're kind of with Cisco. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't... I don't know. He, Picard's trying to be all relatable. Like, you know, I I've, I've, I know the Bajorans, which he knows, like, one Bajoran person. Yeah. but <laughs> He's uh, like, I've, I've come to know... I've come to love the Bajorans. And it's like, really? I don't know if Rolaren is, like, the best example yeah, but, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, Cisco's just like, he doesn't want to be here. Picard has to ask him to show up more than once, which is not something you do to a superior officer. Like, you don't make them tell you to come to their office multiple times. But, yeah. uh, he does, and then he's just like, I'm gonna do my job, and we're done with, like, I'm standing up. We're done with this conversation now. Like, uh, I've, I've given you the respect that I have to. I'm not giving you anything else. Exactly. And I like the part where, uh, Cisco's like, we've met before. And then Picard's like, oh, he's like, you're the guy who killed my wife. Yep. He's like, he kind of perks up for a second, like, oh, really? Where'd we meet? And he tells, like, oh, I was on this ship at Wolf 359. And Picard's just like, I'm going to ignore that. Let's just move on. on. Yep. 
And another thing I, I noticed from the scene is Picard is, uh, Picard has this line, like, you don't always have the luxury of the best circumstances or something like that. And it just sounds really rich coming from, like, he's the captain of the Starfleet flagship. Yep. And he has, like, all the top officers in Starfleet, like, working for him. Like, he has Riker and Data and all these, like, ultra-loyal, like, Starfleet people working for him. And it's like, you know, it rings a little hollow when he says that. Cisco gets O'Brien, so, you know, there's that. Who I, I loved I loved O'Brien in The Next Generation. It was fun. I feel like they started building up this backstory with him and the Cardassians, specifically mm-hmm. with this in mind. And I don't know if that's true, but they really, like... Gave O'Brien this like history with the Cardassians in Next Generation, and then he moves over here where it's like super relevant. Yeah, he, that was in the I forget what that episode was called, but that was the one where uh, Gold Ducat was Gold Masset or something like that, and then O'Brien O'Brien witnessed a horrible massacre that caused him to be racist against Cardassians. Yep. And then he kind of learns the lesson, like, well, maybe there's a little gray area there, too. The Wounded is uh, the name of the episode where he's like, uh, they're having to stop this captain from going to war against the Cardassians or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, the captain actually turns out to be right in that episode. Yep. If I, But it's just like, even if you're right, we can't do it this way or whatever. Right, yeah. that And see, that's like central to what you're talking about is like... Yes, he's actually right that the Cardassians are building up, like, this force to use against the Federation, but Picard's like, this is not the way that we, we can't do this. We can't do it this way. You can't just yeah. go around attacking them because you think this is the case, which I think things get a lot grayer as uh, as we start getting into Deep Space Nine. But uh, Yeah, so, that, was a pretty, that was a pretty good episode. Yeah, like, and it... it introduces what becomes in Deep Space Nine, like, O'Brien's theme song. Like, it's it's often in the background when something important is going on with O'Brien, and it's called, like, The uh-huh. Minstrel Boy, which they sing in that episode of The Next Generation. Like, his former captain's like, what was that song that guy always sang? And they sing it in the episode, and then if you pay attention to the music in Deep Space Nine, it becomes, like, his theme. Oh, I, I, never, I never knew that. But uh, it also introduces that battle that he was in, which I forget... I think it's in Deep Space Nine where we flesh that out more, that actually he was, like, a hero in that battle. Yeah, the Setlik Three Massacre. Yeah. They mention so. it in this episode. He's like, because Bashir's like, oh, they wouldn't attack a Federation outpost, right? And O'Brien's like, uh, you ever hear of the massacre at Setlik Three? Yeah. He also has the great lines like, sir, have you ever served with any Bajoran women? <laughs> yep. And then that, yeah. And, I, Cisco's like... No, why? Yeah. And Brian's like, no reason, you know. Whenever somebody says something like that, it's always like, uh, yeah, that was a great introduction of Kira too. Yep. Like I feel so. Cisco and Kira. I'm trying to think of what other characters get really good introductions this episode. I think they're the main two. Well, you get the introduction to like Odo's power. Which sure. is unexpected in the extreme when it first happens. Like, this, the dude, they're stealing, like, Nog and Random Guy are stealing ore samples. And when they yeah. get when they get surrounded, the dude has, like, what, like a morning star or something. Yeah, he has, like, a, a flail And he chucks it something. directly at Odo's face. Like, he is 100% willing to murder 
one of the security people, when he is already surrounded, like he's yeah. super hardcore. He, he has like phasers pointed at him. Yeah. And and I'm like I'm watching that, and I'm like, what if he did that to Cisco? Yeah, exactly. Like, th- this guy was just 100% all out from the beginning, and it was like, well, I guess it's really lucky it happened to Odo yeah. then. I-, I guess you could make the argument he knew Odo, and he knew it wouldn't kill him, and it would just slow him down or something like that. I don't even know if it slowed him down. Like, I feel like yeah. if you knew what Odo could do, you'd be like, okay, well, there's no point in throwing this thing at him. Yeah, I- it'd be like, okay, Odo's here, and also these guys with phasers. The heist, the heist is-, is done. Uh, yep, so that, that was a good intro there. And Bashir gets a good scene, because Bashir has his scene with oh, yeah. Kira, where he's well, like... Well, it's not, it's not good for Bashir, no, but it, it's a but good yeah. scene. He's like, I want to do border medicine out here, where there's, like, no civilization or whatever. And she's like, uh-huh, uh, I live here, yeah, asshole. That's something I've always felt is, like, a little, um, you know, is good to address in a show like Star Trek. Because it's like, you know, they're going to all these weird planets. It's like, oh, we're on the final frontier and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but, you know, people live here. It's not the final frontier to them. Yep. Okay, what else? Also, that scene introduces us to Nog, which uh, I have a point I want to address, which is the Quark family tree. Mm -hmm. So in this episode, we have Quark and Nog. Yep. And Nog is the son of Quark's unnamed brother. Right. And we see Rom, but I don't think he's even credited as Rom in this episode. No, yeah, I think he's just in the background when Nog gets captured. Yeah, and he's, I think we see him running a Dabo table or something. Oh, maybe. In one scene, and that's it. So, um, I remember from a while ago, re-watching season one, where it seemed pretty unclear that Rom was a member of the family. Or not, so that's just something I want to track as we watch these episodes. Yeah, I don't know that it's... Yeah, I think I, I I think I know what you mean. Like, I don't know that it was planned at first, that this character would be that character. It was just like, this is another Ferengi in the background until we decided yeah. to make him something else. Like, we, I, I remember, we can see. There's a line in one episode where Quark's like, my assistant Rom will take care of that. And it's like, uh... You mean your brother, Rom? <laughs> yep. You oh, and Morn... By, uh, we have to mention Morn is also in this episode. Can't can't have too much Morn. Yep. So let's just you know, I they got they had that Morn costume and they got use out of it. Uh, and there's yeah, and I also I want to note that there's a Star Trek in general in this era, but particularly I feel like Deep Space Nine get so much mileage out of reusing actors in different alien roles. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. And, if, like, you know, eventually we'll hit Jeffrey Combs, who's, like, my favorite, and I love him. But yeah, Jeffrey in, Combs has been, like, eight different people in Star yeah. Trek or something. In this episode, we get the captain of the ship that Cisco is on at Wolf 359 will later go on to be General Martok. And the, so, the Vulcan guy? Yeah, the Vulcan guy. Wow. And it, it, I, I didn't realize that until I was watching it this time. And I was like, that voice is really familiar. And then I had to look it up, and sure enough. Yeah, he's and he's uh, he's been on Voyager as other stuff, hasn't he? I think so. That sounds right. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to have to look him up. General Martok. His actor is named John Garman Hertzler Jr. Wow. So let's see. Let's see what he's... 
Oh, does he seriously? Okay, so he plays some other characters in uh, in Deep Space Nine later that I didn't even realize. Yeah, Vulcan captain in emissary, although he's credited as uh, with his name slightly differently. And later he will play Laws. Huh. Uh, does it say he was in Voyager? It does not mention Voyager. Uh, maybe oh no! Oh, there, there it is. Yep, a Herogen hunter. Okay, yeah, I thought he was a Herogen or something in Voyager. I seem to remember, but... And he makes an appearance in Enterprise, or two, and then an appearance in Star Trek Lower Decks. So, yeah, he's all over this. Like, I I feel like they have these actors that are just really good with alien makeup. Yep. Like, the guy who plays Gold Ducat... Yeah, he's he's been in a bunch of stuff also, If I If I remember right, because he was a Cardassian in The Wounded... I'm pretty sure. And if I remember right, he's actually the guy they... Because he has this really long neck. And he's the guy they designed the Cardassian makeup originally around. Mm, yeah, that would make sense. So, um, so yeah, they brought him back. And then Quark has been a Ferengi before, hasn't yep, he? Yeah, he has absolutely been a Ferengi before. Yep. So, um, I mean, good on them, you know, bringing all these guys back. Oh yeah, Mark Alamo, who plays Bill Ducat, has been, he's been a, on Next Generation, he was a Romulan, he was Golmaset, he was Frederick Laroche in uh, the episode where Data goes back in time, he plays like a French card player. Uh, oh. uh, he was also in the movie The Last Starfighter, apparently, which... Uh, oh wow. Was he an alien? He was a hitchhiker. Oh. All sorts of interesting things you learn going through people's IMDb, look at that. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. So yes, this is this is a decent start. I feel like this episode is probably a better like a better hook to get you interested than like the first episode of the Next Generation was, which yeah. except for Q, I could honestly kind of care less about most of what happens in uh in Encounter at Farpoint. Although and kind I, of kind of similar. In hmm. that like you know, Cisco has to convince these all powerful aliens. Yeah. That that human life is worth something or yeah, you can That's a fair point. Yeah. And I guess the first episode of Voyager also has a weird all powerful dude, but that's a different sort of situation. Yeah, that's more like uh I haven't seen that in a long time. No, it's been forever since I've seen The Caretaker, which Vo- Voyager I was never the hugest fan of, so I am, you know. Oh yeah, one point I want to make. So the intro, the opening of the show was making me think of All Your Base. Okay. You know how it, like, flashes the text, and it's like, on Stardate 463, blah, 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 war was coming. Oh, okay, so you mean, like, the scroll, like, the Star Wars scroll at the very beginning. I thought you meant, like, the opening song or whatever. No, no, no. Okay. And then, like, uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know, Picard, it's like, main screen turn on, and then, like, Picard is on the screen, and he's like, you know, all your planet are belong to us, or whatever. What'd he say? Yeah. What do you say? No. Also, in that scene, I want to point out that I mean it's fine. Because the thing about Star Trek is like the special effects are always kind of secondary. But it's like Cisco's wife gets killed by uh, girders and struts falling from the ceiling. Yep. And people are always getting killed by these girders and struts on the ceiling. And we never see them until they fall down and kill people. It's true. How often do you see the ceiling, though, in general? That's, 
You see it a lot in, I feel like, Next Gen of the Bridge. Of uh, the Bridge, yeah. I think other, the, than, there's other like than a, that, you're, you're right. There's a big window at the top of the bridge, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, it's like a big, uh, what do you, like an Oculus or something, whatever uh, you call that. A domey thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, another point, Jake is the anti-Wesley. Okay. I, I feel like um, the writers of Deep Space Nine so badly wanted to show that they could correctly write a kid. <laughs> and the result is Jake. And as a result, I love Jake. Hmm. I mean, he's he's whiny when kids would be whiny, but he's yeah. also, you know, he's got personality. Okay, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, oh, this isn't really relevant this episode, but how often do people lose at Dabo? I okay. So I I agree. In this episode, it seems ridiculous because the Cardassians are just stacking up all of their money. Like, look at I've got pounds of latinum that I have just yeah. won at Dabo, which is ridiculous. But I think I I think the idea is that it's happening a lot. Like the the majority of the time, people are losing, and just every once in a while, you hear like during most of the series, you're like Dabo, yeah, and that that's when you, it draws your attention. So you're like, oh, it's happening all the time. But if you just assume that it's going on in the background at all times, and it's only at those points that somebody's winning, then it's not that often. Yeah. So they just always choose that moment to like establish that we're in Quark's bar. Yeah. It's like someone at the Dabo table yells, Dabo! And then we pan over, and then someone's sitting at the bar, and the scene starts. Well, and of course, I don't know how many people, like, there's always a bunch of people around the wheel, so maybe lots of people can play Dabo at once, and only one guy wins? I don't know. Sure. And everybody's always excited for them? Yeah. I don't know. Or it could be like, um... Well, yes, that wouldn't exactly work. It could be like craps where you like kind of you bet with or against the shooter. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. Um, How does Dabo? And then. Okay, the last thing I wanted to bring up is uh, all characters on Deep Space Nine are kind of the opposite of their next gen counterpart. Okay. So, like, uh, we already talked about, like, Cisco and Picard. Yep. Kira is, you know, very... She's got her own agenda, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not going rogue, but, like, she's got her own things that she cares about, and she doesn't care at all about Starfleet. Right. Whereas Riker is the ultra-Starfleet careerist, and he'll follow orders no matter what. What other ones did I have? Uh... Worf is an ultra hard warrior, but Odo is made of goo. <laughs> and uh I feel like Odo is I mean, despite the fact that he's fighting people a lot, like I'm on some level he's kind of pacifistic. Like he doesn't want he doesn't like weapons for one thing. Sure, sure. And so like he's gonna capture these guys, but he's not the guy that's gonna like kill them if he can do anything to avoid it, which is not Worf's thing exactly. Yeah. It's like Worf wishes he had like a sword all the time. Like, famously, Worf is always the guy being, like, you, you know, it's like, shields captain or whatever. Can we shoot them yet? Okay. Yeah. Just let me know <laughs> so, when we can shoot them. He's like, the correct solution is to open fire. Let me know when you come to that conclusion, too. Uh, okay, so who else we got? Oh, Quark and Guinan. Uh, you know, Quark has big ears. Guinan has small ears. <laughs> Guinan has big hats. Quark doesn't like hats. Yeah, exactly. You know, Quark is a no-hat kind of guy. 
Uh, oh, oh yeah. LaForge is blind and hopeless with women, but O'Brien is happily married and has fully functional eyeballs. <laughs> See, I think I think it's Data who introduces O'Brien to his wife, so LaForge just needs to you know have Data hook him up. Exactly. I don't know. Did that ever happen? I don't think that there's an episode where like. They're setting each other up on dates or anything like that. Yeah. That doesn't feel like a next generation thing to me. I mean, I, I'm sure there's episodes where, like, Jordy is interested in someone, and then Data's like, well, what are you... So what's going on with you and her? Data's also not the one that you go to for, like, relationship advice. So despite the, you know, Jordy and Data being, like, good friends, I don't think that he's, like, telling his relationship woes to Data necessarily. Yeah. I kind of wonder what that introduction scene was like between O'Brien and Keiko. Like, it's not like Data was, like, doing a match, like, experimenting with a matchmaking subroutine or something like that. <laughs> he is a dating software uh, in himself, yeah. It's like, I have noticed that humans often like to facil- facilitate pairings among their friends. To that end, I would like to introduce Keiko. To Miles O'Brien. I don't want to start with LaForge. Like, I, I alienate him right off the go if I mess it up, so I'm going to go a little bit down the friend ladder and start with O'Brien. I have noticed that no matter how many dates Jordy goes on, they always end badly. <laughs> Therefore, I will not attempt to set him up with another crew member. Probably for the best. Okay, that's all the points I have. What about you? Uh, let me think for a second. I think we hit most of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, the whole, the, the, the moving the station thing always struck me as like, we need O'Brien to pull like a Scotty and do something completely impossible right off the bat so we can establish his cred. It's like, what if we lower the inertial mass of the station? Well, that's a neat trick. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it was, I felt like that was kind of out there. But uh, it does. We do a good job, like introducing Cardassians as you know who are going to be the recurring bad guys. I love the scene, like where Ducat gets introduced and he's sure. he's walking in the office, like, well, this used to be my office. I'll be no mind if I'm just a, an asshole. Yeah, he basically says, like, uh, um, I'm just going to be a recurring antagonist on this series. Yep. And Cisco's like, all right, sounds like uh, some good drama. Let's <laughs> good, do it. Good plan. I'll pencil you in. Yep. I, yeah, I, I do want to say about this episode, I feel like the last half, like, the uh, the stuff with the prophets is kind of interesting, but, like, the general, like, uh, you know, they go into the wormhole, and the Cardassians go into the wormhole, and they have to move the station, and all that stuff was a little, like, they have to do something exciting. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we end up where they need the show to be, I guess, which is, like... We need an excuse why this mining station is going to be at the mouth of the wormhole to establish, you know, the, this new status quo. Sure, exactly. But, like, yeah, I, I feel like they had to go a long way to get there. So, I mean, you can't really fault it because you kind of think, like, what would I do if I was a writer? And they're like, ah, you know, you got to connect point A and point B somehow. Yeah. And they got through it pretty fast, so. So, uh, how would, okay, how do we want to rate episodes? Hmm. I feel like we should just do your rating and my rating. Okay, but what are we going to rate them, like, out of? I I say 
whenever I have a whole thing about okay. ratings that I've argued with people online, which is either you think it's like you have a, a a mild positive or a strong positive, or a mild negative or a strong negative. Okay. Like, in my opinion, that's as like uh, as much uh, granularity as you can get. Okay. In in rating something because like you know, you watch something, you know you're gonna enjoy it different amounts when you watch it twice. Some people do like a hundred point scale and stuff. So if we if we've got four points basically, then well some we 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 could do rankings based on how many pips are on a collar. So captain has four, ooh, and ooh. so the the captain is a strong positive, and then you got like you know uh, what's the three's commander and two is lieutenant and one is ensign so we could do that yeah 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 wait so yeah three commander two lieutenant yeah yeah that makes sense and then you we could do like a you know a lieutenant commander or lieutenant junior grade or yeah, yeah if you have some 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 middle opinion sure if you want to break it down more so okay are we doing like just are we rating it as like in general a television program i feel like it's this or we're we doing it like in terms of deep space nine episodes or in terms of star trek episodes and or you know like you know, I feel like, uh, let's keep it in terms of, like, Deep Space Nine. Okay. Because I don't feel like we're going to feel like this is a good Deep Space Nine episode, but a bad Star Trek episode. I can't think of any, like, episode. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair point. I mean... So, yeah, just within the general Deep Space Nine Star Trek uh, level of quality. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to go for... You know what? You, you you opened up to it. I'm gonna say Lieutenant Commander, which you know I oh, guess nice. that's that's like very slightly positive. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a solid Commander. Okay. For just because of uh, I feel the character work on the show. You know, as we've been saying, I think it's the character work on the show is like the strongest aspect of the show by far. Yep. And I think this episode did a really good job starting that, and it did a you know. Good job world building. Uh, you know, pretty enjoyable for for like especially com- compared to like Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, it's like I feel like it's a pretty strong like out the gate first episode. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And I, I, you know, you're right. We've been talking about it, but the character the character work on this show is because you you look at like Next Generation. None of the characters, maybe you could say Data a little bit. None of them really evolve much from season one to season seven. Sure, and on you, you jump to like Voyager. It's almost like they're trying too hard at some of that, and you bring like Seven of Nine, and they're like, "We need Seven of Nine to change like every episode practically to just <laughs> evolve as a human being." And it's like, okay, well, that was a little far. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that they really hit a good spot character wise with this show, and this one gets gives us a good base line for most of our main characters we didn't mention right. dax dax gets oh yeah we didn't even talk about dax yeah she she gets a little attention not a whole lot of attention but uh uh we get that oh that was one of my points that i'd forgotten about was trills we we get a main character who's a trill here which we've seen one time before on next generation and right they look very different now yeah, than they yeah, did in that they, episode. yeah they didn't have spots or any of that stuff and they had, like, a whole head prosthesis thing going on. I think they decided for, like, a regular weekly character they didn't want to deal with. Yeah, so like, we already have Odo. We already have Quark. Yeah. We already have Kira. Let's just put some spots on her. Like, let's not over overload this stuff. Like, give the makeup artists, like, a little bit of 
like, break. But long-term, Dax is one of my favorite characters, so I'm uh, oh, yeah. glad to just throw something out to her. Cause, long, uh, yeah, long-term, maybe. I feel like um, in some of these early episodes, her acting is a little iffy. I think they don't know what they want to do with her at this point. Yeah. She's like I, the, the young girl who has all the, this experience, and they're not sure which way they want to go with it. Yeah, you know, she's like a, you know, I forget how old the Dax symbiote is supposed to be, like, several centuries old. Yeah. And then uh, she's supposed to have all that, but... And she, I think she was definitely playing more towards, like, the old man side in this episode. Yeah. Um, she, she's like, I'm the same old Dax, and it's only later that you, we get to know her Jadzia more as a personality. Apparently, Dax the symbiote was born in 2018. So... Oh, wow, so... Three, four years old. <laughs> but yeah, this is 23, what, 2360, 2370, somewhere around sure, there. Sure. So, so three, 300, 350 three, or something. 350, something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll get into Dax. I don't think they know anything about Bashir yet. He's, he's this like very young, just very gung-ho. Yeah. Like, and even we were talking about before we started about his appearance on The Next Generation. And I watched that clip and he's still, he's just like this... This young guy who is all energy and all, like, go and is not thinking anything through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, there's a very important aspect of his character that has not been introduced yet. And I don't think... I don't remember when they introduced that. I feel like it's, like, season five or four or something. Like, it's a while. Oh, okay. I thought it was earlier than that, but I will see eventually, yep. I guess. We'll get there. Uh, okay, and then Quark. Quark was set up pretty good. Like, yeah. Quark was Quark. He's very identifiable as Quark. Yep, he's very easy to... Uh, his character in general is easy to understand. He's a Ferengi, although he is the 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 franchise's way of kind of tempering what we've seen of Ferengi. Because when they yeah, first show exactly. up in Next Generation, they're like animals, practically. And so we're getting more of a... Yeah, like the yeah they, they completely revamped the Ferengi in this show. And it's... I think everybody agrees for the better. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not nearly as racist as it was. Also, yeah. Also, Quark has a pretty good point in this episode where, like, if the government's going around calling itself the provisional government, you just yeah. know you just know there's like guillotines like about to get wheeled into the public square. And he's like, yeah, I, no, <laughs> I don't want anything good. to do with this. Uh, yeah, no, he, yes, yeah. yeah. uh, Quark, Odo. Pretty good. I f- yeah, I feel like that was like a... Watching this as a person who's watched Deep Space Nine, when he's just all of a sudden like, I was found in the Denorius belt. You're just like, whoa, the- we're doing this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, al- I already... Uh, I-, I watched the uh, Mild Fuzz TV guys review of this episode. And they were like, oh, he's the Bajoran Superman? Because, hmm. you know, he's from a different planet. He was found. Oh, I wasn't even taking it that far. I was just like, I mean, he's got some powers. He's not Superman yeah, yeah, exactly. But okay, he's got okay. some pretty good powers, too. He's the he's the Bajoran Superman with the powers of the T-1000. The power to melt. Yep. The power to look kind of human. <laughs> but not really. And then turn into goo. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, O'Brien, we already know. You know, O'Brien's doing pretty well for himself to as an enlisted man to become, like, chief of operations yeah. on this station. 
That's something that's always bothered me, is what is O'Brien... They say his rank sometimes, but it's like, how does he really fit in to the the hierarchy of Starfleet? Early on in The Next Generation, his rank was inconsistent, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's only like later on when he becomes a more regular character. Even though, He's in the first episode of The Next Generation. He's one of the bridge crew on the uh, on the like battle bridge when they separate out the uh uh to you know escape from Q or whatever. So he's he's been there from the beginning, but he's it's he was always like this the other guy who nobody paid much attention to so they could get away with making his rank all weird. Sure. But I think it makes sense as far as like, you know, some people who've been in the military, they know that, you know, the sergeant in the platoon is often like the guy who's been there yeah. the longest and knows the most, even if he is outranked by all of the officers or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, it just kind of like brings up kind of some questions about Starfleet that you don't usually think about. Like, do the enlisted people go to the academy, or uh, you know, how do, how does any of this work? Like, are there like you know enlistment? You know, like. What are those places called? Like recruiting centers, right? Where you can just go and they're like, "We'll teach you how to be a transporter operator." You know, give us six years of your life and learn a technical <laughs> skill or whatever. So, I feel like enlisted personnel must not go to the academy. That must be the difference. I don't know. I don't know what else the difference could be. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the difference in the real world. So, um, of course, you know, in the real world, there's like officer candidate school and stuff like that too. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yep, good episode. Uh, let me think of a sign-off here. We we didn't even come up with a title for the. Nope. We'll, we'll, we'll call. It, we'll we'll think of something soon, and then I'll put the uh, I'll put the title on the on the video. We should we should just do an episode where we think of a title, <laughs> but I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, you you need like a a good catchy sign-off or whatever. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at like random Deep Space Nine quotes. It's like sure. they were they were all true, even the lies, especially the lies. I don't know mm-hmm. how that works, but yeah, what's well, a quote from this episode? Mm, okay, hold on. D- DS Nine, the emissary quotes. Here we go. Here we go. Poem quotes. Uh, computer, you and I need to have a talk. <laughs> Never trust ale from a god-fearing people or a Starfleet commander that has one of your relatives in jail. A little unwieldy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I suppose you want the office. No, that doesn't work. (laughs) Drop by anytime you're feeling homesick, he says to Dukat. So there's that. Uh, Okay, yeah, there we go. Okay. And drop by anytime you're feeling homesick. (laughs) Do, 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 do.